This is Edge of the Box, a podcast brought to you by whoscored.com. Hello, welcome back to the Edge of the Box podcast, a podcast by whoscored.com in association with Bet Victor. I'm your host, Dan Bardell, joined by Jonathan Wilson and Who Scored's Josh Wright, who's filling in for Martin yet again. How are we both? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you, Jonathan. Josh, you well? Yep, also very good. Thank you very much. Pleased to be back on. Lovely to be back on. Celebrated my 28th birthday on Tuesday, so... Absolutely no need. Excellent. First podcast of your year 28 for you then, Josh. Let's make it a good one, but it might not be a good weekend for you because it's Manchester City v Manchester United. And Josh, every year I say, oh, they've got got no chance Manchester United in this game. But yet, they usually go there and win. Yeah, strange, isn't it? I think uh, United have actually won the last three at the Etihad, but I think this weekend in particular will be really telling for what Manchester United are about under Ralph Ragnick. I think he's had a pretty easy ride so far in terms of the fixtures that he's had. And I think there's always been a fear that having not capitalised on those fixtures, um, now the tough ones around are coming around the corner. It's going to be a big um, a big ask for them to try and get that fourth fourth spot. Jonathan, the Owen Hargreaves derby. Are you looking forward to it? <laughs> um, yeah, I suppose, yeah, no, I am. I am. Because, um, yeah, City despite seeming to win pretty much every week, suddenly they're under a bit of pressure. And that, that, that makes it interesting, uh, particularly given their record against United. United obviously aren't, aren't playing well at the minute. Uh, and the, the one thing that United were good at in the Solskjaer was sitting deep against good teams and hitting them on the break. Uh, now, I think Ronaldo you know, sc- curtailed that anyway, just because he, you know, he slows everything down. Um, but this is a, you know, yet another test of Rangnick. And so far... Yeah, I mean, they've you know, only lost one of the last 20, so that's that's not a terrible record, albeit lots of those draws. But I think there's a justifiable sense of not playing particularly well, that they don't have much fluency. It's pretty hard to see a direction for them. Um, but this is the kind of game where under Solskjaer they, they could pull out results and could, could lift some of that pressure. Yeah, Ronaldo's one goal in 10. Josh, but I saw a stat the other day that Manchester United, since Ranić's come in, have created more chances than anyone else. What does that tell us? United have gone through like two stages under Rangnick. The first half of his his time here was they didn't really create any chances, and Ronaldo was isolated in that respect. And they're, now they're creating quite a lot of chances, and Ronaldo's not taking them. So, like you said, one goal, and he's got no assists in ten matches in twenty twenty two, which is a it's crazy like a crazy run of form for someone of his high standards. Um, Fred's actually played a direct hand in four times as many goals as Ronaldo in this calendar year. So I'm not sure who who would have predicted at the start of 2022 that Fred would be more decisive in front of goal than Ronaldo. But yeah, it's, it's strange. I think he's he's it's weird. I think in the last few games, especially, I think he started to finally look his age. He's obviously he's 37 now, but we've obviously been used to Ronaldo doing things that aren't normal for the last. We can't all be 28, Josh. <laughs> That's true. But but yeah, like he just finally looks his age. I don't think he's been helped in in that respect by Cavani, who who seems to pick and choose when he's fit to play. Ronaldo's just played near enough five ninety minute games in the space of fourteen days, and by the end of it, he did just look completely completely shattered. Um, and I guess that that hasn't helped in 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 that respect. I think since the Middlesbrough game, um, Manchester United have had twenty five clear cut goal scoring chances, and they've only scored five of them. So Ronaldo's to blame for some of that, but also some of the other forwards aren't performing too well either. All of Ronaldo's stats are pretty much down con- compared to before Rangnick to now. Uh, dribbles per game, key passes per game, shots per game, um, they're all down. Um, 
he's getting more touches in the opposition box, which is what you'd want from Ronaldo at this stage in his career. But his conversion rate has dropped from 20.7% before Rangnick to just 5.7% under him. So, yeah, he's he's not taking the chances. He looks tired, but that isn't... There's, um, Rangnick doesn't have the freedom to rotate because they let Martial go in January. Um, as I said, Cavani's injured pretty much all the time now. and But that just points to a wider problem that United have entered the business stage of a of a really important season with a strike force of a combined age of over 70. And then if you look before at the striker they signed before Cavani, it was Agallo who was also the wrong side of 30. So these are wider, wider issues at Manchester United, but yeah, it's not helping Ronaldo either. Some serious ageism going on on this podcast today, Josh. Thank you very much. Jonathan, Josh, I mean, to, to, be, to at... be fair to, to, to be fair to United and to be fair to Ragnick, um, yes, having Ronaldo and Cavani as your only two strikers was problematic, but they couldn't realistically have anticipated the Greenwood situation. And he's somebody yeah. I think would have played at centre-forward. And then Rashford's been... I mean, I know he's probably better coming in off the left, but he could have played through the middle as an extra option. So, you know, I, I think... I, I don't think it's a good thing to have two players of that age in the squad at the, time, at the same time. But I, I think that there are other circumstances that you can't... But in this instance, you can't really blame the club for. I think Josh has got some comparison ratings whilst we talk about City's wobble. It feels a bit weird to call it a wobble, Jonathan, because I think just because they lost to Spurs, is, is that really a wobble? But it's not quite clicking as it was. They, they're lucky to get through the Everton game and come out with three points. But really? Not, I mean, well. I mean <laughs> so of, of, the, of the last 16 games, they've won 14 Drawn one, lost one. Uh, I did say it was harsh to call it a wobble. The game before that was against Leipzig when they were already through, and which they lost. And they won the seven before that. So of the last 23 games that have had something riding on them, they've won 21 and drawn one. I mean, that's the kind of wobble I dream of. Oh, me too. Um, I'd love and, to wobble like that. And even, even against Everton, um, yeah, sure, they got away with the penalty, but... The, the XG was 1.93 to 0.77 in their favour. Even against Spurs, they won the XG 2.32 to 2. So the last game, uh, last league game, certainly, that where they lost the XG was that game when they lost to Brighton, the penultimate game of last season, when yeah, the, the title was won and they were resting players out of the Champions League final. So if you're winning the XG every week and you're only dropping five points in 16 games... I, I don't really think that's a problem. For Man City to have, I think they've won 15 of their last 17 in the Premier League, to have had that run and to have somehow conceded ground in the title race, I think just shows how good these both these two teams are, that they're relentless and that they, if they don't win just one game, it seems like an absolute disaster, but it's, it's far from that. But I do think that um, there's been a drop-off in aspects of City's play, and I think that's really been the case since the 6-3 win over Leicester on Boxing Day. And maybe there was more in that game than first met the eye at the time. They were obviously 4-0 up um, and then it went to 4-3 at one stage. They obviously still won that game. But in the ne- in the very next game, Guardiola completely put the handbrake on City in the 1-0 win over Brent- Brentford. Um, they pretty much killed any sort of chance of it being an entertaining game from the first minute. I mean, it was pretty much as comfortable a 1-0 win as you will, as you will ever see. Um, but they've not really recaptured the same sort of attacking magic going forward ever since then. They didn't even have a shot on target until the hour mark against Peterborough in midweek, who are bottom of the championship. Um, and that drop-off is actually reflected in our Who Scored ratings as well. So we've compared the player ratings from their last seven league games in 2021 to the first seven league games of 2022. 
Um, and the only player that's actually come out of that with a better who squad rating is Jao Cancelo, who's obviously so instrumental to the way they play. Um, but every other player has suffered a decrease in some form. The biggest, the biggest drop off is from the forwards, um, which is it surprised me that Sterling and Riyad Mahrez have actually suffered huge drop offs, which I'll come on to in a second. But um, in general, it's the defenders or the defensive minded players that have suffered the, the smallest drop off, if you want to. And um, but yeah, so that still that feeds into the idea that City is still winning matches, but it's not been quite as easy. That the defenders are having to do a bit more work. Um, but yeah, I was quite surprised with Sterling and Mahrez. For some reason, I thought they were just scoring goals every now and then, pretty much every week. But I guess it's been spread in different competitions. Um, Sterling was flying up until that Leicester game. Um, and I believe he scored in that game as well. But since then, he's only scored in one of seven in 2022, which surprised me. That was a hat-trick against Norwich, to be fair. But but yeah, it hasn't has sort of fallen off a little bit there. And Mahrez, he, his last four goals have, only, have been penalties. Um, which is quite impressive for a Manchester City player to be uh, good at penalties. So I guess that's not too bad. But yeah, his last goal from open play actually came in December in the league. That is, he obviously scored in midweek. And on Sterling, on Sterling I know um, Sam Boswell from Betvictor might bring up some odds on him a bit later on in the show. But uh, he's actually faced Manchester United 23 times in his career and he's never scored, which I think is probably the weirdest weirdest record of an, that an individual has against a particular opponent. I think I would back myself to score one goal in that time, just poking a loose ball. If I played 23 times against Manchester United for Manchester City as a forward, um, I think I'd back myself to score one goal, especially if Man United have been awful in some of those games as well. Jonathan, how many would you score? I mean, I'd be getting taken off to like 90 seconds of each game as they realise <laughs> this lumbering 40-odd-year-old has somehow snuck on the pitch again. Um, not as confident as Josh then. Josh, you're very confident, Josh, today. I don't know what's happened to you since you've turned 28. There's some, some new, new confidence has, has come in. Honestly, Jack Grealish is back, scoring a lovely goal against Peterborough in the FA Cup, but he needs to probably start doing it that a little bit more in the Premier League. Incidentally, what did you make of Pep's comments about stats midweek? I, I actually really enjoyed them. I thought that everything he said was true, although that does kind of go against this podcast a little bit. <laughs> Both the question and the answer we're slightly oversimplifying the case. So I think you know, stats you have to look at in context. You know, stats very rarely have a meaning in themselves, yet you have to sort of interpret them. Um, and, you know, when, when, I mean, we're clearly much more sophisticated than this now, but when, when, we first, when stats first began to be uh, widely distributed, people got very excited. You know, this is, I'm talking about 15, 20 years ago. People got very excited about possession as if possession was... Yeah, if you had 60% possession, it means you controlled the game, you dominated the game. And now I think we understand that if you have 60% possession, it just means you have a lot of the ball. It doesn't tell you necessarily what you do with it. And the opposition could actually be controlling you by, by making you have a ball in your own half. And I think we do have a much more nuanced understanding of them now. So, yeah, stats only tell you things if you place them in the correct context. But I don't think that's a particularly new revelation. I think that's always been true. Um and I, I think it is true that if you purely look at attacking players in terms of goals and assists, then that that is a pretty pretty blunt instrument. That there is is a lot more going on. It all depends on on the style of the side you're playing in. In this revisit of Grealish and Sancho, Josh, it's fair to say neither player has really hit the heights that we expected yet. I mean, it's early days. We've seen before with pet players that players don't often hit the ground running in the in the first season. And I think there's probably mitigating circumstances for Sancho at Manchester United because they've largely been a mess. These are two fantastic footballers who we want to see more from. What I find most 
disappointing about whenever I watch Manchester City play and Grealish is playing. I, I just find it so boring when Grealish is on the ball, which is something that you'd never associate mm. him with. I think it's, it seems weird now that it was only in the summer that he was drawing comparisons with Paul Gascoigne with the way he played and his, his general character. And I think he probably still is a bit like Paul Gascoigne off the pitch, but we're not really seeing that side of him on the pitch. And I think that's uh, whether that's a confidence thing or he's under instruction up to, to play that way. I would hope that it's a confidence thing because if it is, if he is being told to play um, well within himself in that sort of, that sort of way, then I think that'd be quite sad of his talents. Um, and obviously, he like neither no player decides their price tag. Um, well, maybe Ronaldo probably would, but no, no player decide, decides what they're worth, sort of thing. And so that's not really Grealish's fault that they paid a hundred million for him. But I think to play, to pay a hundred million for a player that at this moment in time doesn't improve your team, I think that should be open to criticism um, regardless of whether Pep agrees with that or not. But yeah, I, do, I just think from Grealish, I, I, you just want there to be, you want him to, to be happy and expressive on the ball. That's when he's at his best. That's what he was so good at for Villa. Um, and we're just not really seeing that at all at the moment for City. And then on for Sancho, I think it was interesting. I think last time um, when they last played in November, uh, neither Grealish or, or Sancho even started the game. And, and that might well be the case for at least one of them. I wouldn't be surprised. Like Grealish hasn't been really starting for City in the meaningful games uh, recently. Um, Sancho's come on as late, and I think Jonathan's made good points throughout the season that it, it was perhaps no surprise that Sancho wasn't playing particularly well um, under Solskjaer when the football was pretty chaotic and there have been noticeable improvements under a more structured coach like Rangnick. Um, but yeah, San like Sancho is coming good now, which is good to see. Uh, before it was just like flashes of um, skills and stuff, but now he's he's really putting his mark on that United front three. Um, and it would also be a great stage for him to really announce himself against the club that he he started, well, not started that, but came through before he left to Germany. I've said it as a compliment about Manchester City before, that they're quite robotic, but it's meant as a compliment. I just don't think that suits Jack Grealish at all. He's an off-the-cuff off player, needs a bit of freedom. I mean, it's so... No, it's not structured at City. I don't even know what I'm trying to say. It's not structured at City, but I just think the way the way they play doesn't really suit. Him. I think if he was playing for Liverpool, for example, I think you'd just see a completely different player, more of the players or Aston Villa. But there's, there's still time for him to get it right, and I hope that he does. Now, I'd imagine Grealish and Sancho aren't in the combined eleven. Jonathan, is any? I mean, would you see any Manchester United player getting in the combined eleven? I can think of two that potentially may get in. Not for me, no. Uh, eleven no. City players. Well, probably about, yeah, sixteen or seventeen City players. <laughs> not even any on, you, anyone on the bench. Not even a sub goalkeeper. I mean, okay, yeah, maybe De Gea is your sub keeper. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> yeah, um, that's probably it though. But I mean, you're, you're struggling beyond that just because City works so well as a unit. Yeah. So in the same way that I think they, you know, if you're somebody who gets worked up by individual prizes, City maybe get overlooked a bit in them, but there was because no one player really stands out. But at the same time, they have no obvious weakness. So you, you take the, the 11 or you take the, you know, the squad. And I, yeah, which United player would get into that? It's really hard to see any of them. Maybe, oh, maybe Sancho. Maybe Sancho is the closest. Yeah, he'd suit, he'd suit Manchester City quite well and he'd probably do a lot well, better I, I, than Manchester I, I City. Think, you know, I, th I think I made this point earlier in the season that there was a sense that United and City had signed their own players, that if Grealish and Sancho had been the other way around, they both have benefited because Sancho prefers that more you know, more, um, more structured system, prefers you know, uh, enacting specific instructions and struggled a bit with uh, the need to improvise that, that you suddenly thrust into United. Whereas Grealish, I think, 
hasn't yet um, assimilated those instructions and would like a slightly more off-the-cuff style. Yeah, I think he was pretty close to joining Manchester United you know, the summer before, or at least it was on the cards at one point. I'm going to say, I don't agree with it, I think who scored might have picked two Manchester United players. Pogba they were sticking because they always overrate Pogba. Oh, I think it's De Gea and Fernandes. It is. You got one of them, right? So oh, Only one. Yeah. Um, not bad, though. Yeah, so as both teams like to rotate quite a lot, particularly Man City, we've decided to, to base this combined 11 and just from starts alone. Um, and because we've had... We've got statistics for every game they've played in all competitions. We've done it based on that as well. Um, as you, everyone would expect, City do dominate. Um, but as you guessed, Dan, there are two United players. De Gea is the first one. I think he obviously has returned to his best this season. But I think would be a pretty disastrous fit in a Guardiola side. Um, so Guardiola is not having this team at all. But yeah, so we've got uh, uh, David De Gea is the first one. Then we've actually got Diego Dallo at right back. Uh, he's the second one. Uh, Ruben Diaz and John Stones at centre-back. Stones just gets in ahead of Laporte. Uh, Cancelo's at left-back. And then we've got a midfield three of De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva and Elkay Gundogan. So Rodri just misses out to Gundogan there. Um, and then the front three is Mares, Foden and Sterling in attack. So no Ronaldo, no Fernandes, no Varane, no Sancho and no Grealish. Yeah, not too many surprises. Well, Rodri not being in is a bit of a surprise because yeah. I went on... Premier League TV a month or so ago and was absolutely raving about him saying he's arguably City's player of the season and he doesn't even make the combined 11 so thanks for that Josh <laughs> he, he's, re- he's really highly rated if it wasn't if it did include substitute appearances then he would be in but it's just that Gundogan hasn't actually played started that many games and but when he has he's scored quite a lot of goals okay. um, so yeah he just gets in ahead of Rodri even though the roles are pretty different for him. And I, know, I agree with you Rodri's had a great season but he didn't have a good game at all against Spurs no no so no the, 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 you know that, that's I know, you know this is one of the things I think stats find quite difficult to pick up, but Kane was dropping into his space and he, he just wasn't there. Um, that, you know, that, that, that should have been his job and, and Samara went missing. So I don't quite know what went wrong for him there. Everyone has an after, I suppose. So we'll let him off for, for one game only. We've got a bet builder and some bookings. Bingo. Oh, no, just... No, oh, no, I did my little song and everything. What's so, the bet yes. builder then, Josh? So we've got three parts to it. Um, the first leg is for Paul Pogba to be carded. He will make a very rare outing in a Manchester derby this weekend. He's bizarrely only played in sixteen uh, in six of a possible 15 against Manchester City since returning to United. But he's um, he's fine. He's fine now. He's fine, ready to play. A couple of those are actually through suspension, fittingly. Um, but yeah, he's committing the most fouls per 90 of any other player in the Premier League this season. Uh, and he's been booked seven times in 15 domestic games this, this season for Manchester United can see him being drawn into a lot of fouls of City's midfielders buzzing around him. Uh, so Pogba to be carded the first leg, and then we've gone for Harry Maguire again to be carded. Obviously, he's a favourite for our bet builders, um, but there's always reasoning behind it. He's under a lot of pressure this season, and City is not an, op- uh, not an opponent he likes to face often. Uh, he's been carded nine times against them in his career, which is at least four more than any other team um, he's faced. Nine bookings against one opponent is quite impressive. Uh, and then closing off the treble was Bernardo Silva to score any time. I think he'll, if Man City go on to win the league, he'll probably be in the running for player of the season. Um, might even be in the conversation for goal of the season as well. Uh, he scored in three of his last six appearances against United, uh, scored in the reverse fixture and has only scored more against Watford and Burnley of English opponents in his career. So that's Paul Pogba to be carded, Harry Maguire to be carded and Bernardo Silva to score any time. Uh, this was already 34-1, to 1, which is already miles in front of the competition mm. in terms of other other bookies and bet victor have boosted that even further to 45 to one so that's a huge price on pogba 
to be carded, Maguire to be carded, and Silva to score any time. Yeah, but a few strikes against your name today, Josh. The ages and that we've already discussed, and there was absolutely no need to bring up that goal against Villa. Absolutely no need at all. <laughs> Completely unnecessary. But what's who scored prediction? Uh, we've gone for 2-1 to Manchester City. 2-1 to City. Jonathan? 2-0 to City. I've gone for a wild 3-2 to Manchester City. When you're doing as well as I can, you can afford to chuck a few of these. And so, yeah, I've gone for 3-2 to Manchester City. We've just gone through the bet builder, but let's catch up with Sam Boswell from BetVictor to see what other odds are floating around that game. Sam, welcome back after playing hooky last week. How are you? Yeah, apologies. Uh, I was uh, on a horse racing gallops in the lead up to Cheltenham. Obviously, it's a very exciting time uh, for anyone that likes their racing. So keep your eyes peeled over at BetVictor. We'll have some great footage uh, for people to enjoy in the lead up to the Cheltenham Festival. But football, yeah, let's uh, get stuck in. What a uh, big game we've got this weekend. Yeah, the Manchester derby. And I say this every single year that United have got no chance and then usually they go there and win. What, what's BetVictor saying? This year, you'll be well rewarded if United do pull off the shock of a win over near neighbour city they're seven to one to get the win 19 to five the draw four to 11 the home side which does look a little bit skinny in the context of united tending to turn up to these fixtures uh just a league update city one to four to get the job done liverpool 11 to four and then uh yeah you can name your price on united not going to be winning the league either this year sadly for their fans but in this individual game, some bet boost we should mention. Raheem Sterling to score any time, been boosted to 29 to 20, having a great season so far. Raheem, Kevin De Bruyne to score from outside the box has been boosted to 6 to 1. Uh, Manchester United to score a penalty 7 to 1 from 6 to 1. But this game, I, I do think you look through the stats and everything, I find it a really tough one to call. But I'm hoping we'll see an entertaining game. I'm expecting to see plenty of interest around our bet builders people getting stuck into those, as well as the stats market as well, uh, shots on target, that kind of thing. Certainly a market people like to get stuck into. I'm surprised to see Ronaldo's as big as one to two for a shot on target. But then again, this is the same Manchester United side that couldn't break down Watford the other week. Potentially, that's why he's a price. Kevin De Bruyne to have lots on sh- lots of shots on target, sorry, would, would be my tip. David De Gea is very busy at the best of times, let alone coming up against Manchester City. So that would be my tip if anyone cares at all. Sam, thanks ever so much for joining us. We'll chat again next week. No problem, look forward to it. Before we head into the just a minute section, some big news this week that Marcelo Bielsa has left Leeds United. Not a massive surprise the way things have been going this season, but a sad day for Leeds fans because the man has simply reinvented them. Jonathan? I mean, like I say, it's not really a surprise, but he's he's quite sad because he has done a very, very good job there. They have the second lowest wage bill in the Premier League still. Um, so even though they spent a fair bit on transfers, you know, the wages have been kept very low. And if you have uh, you know, the, the, the second lowest wage bill and you then lose half a dozen players, um, yeah, most of the season they've been without significant players. And I think, you know, Bamford, Phillips... Recently, Cooper and, and Juventus, the most significant of them, then it's really, really difficult. Um, I think the the sense was that Bielsa was going to leave in the summer anyway. So when things were going as badly wrong as they have been in the last couple of months, uh, and the, you know, it's very hard, you know, if he's leaving in the summer, it's very hard to see a long term upside. I can see why you would make the sacrifice now and, and hope that. A new manager and new ideas can, can just refresh people and, and get enough points to, to stay in the Premier League. Um, but you know, what he's done with Leeds, taking them back to the Premier League after 17 years, changing the culture of the club. I think the fact he's 
you know, a great rarity in modern football and he's somebody of profound integrity who seems to have had an impact directly and indirectly on the lives of hundreds of Leeds fans. Um, you know, it's, it's, it is, of course, sad to, to see him go. Big bucket to fill for Jesse Marsh. I don't know much about him at all, Jonathan, but their defending last week was shambolic against Spurs. It's not an easy gig to walk into and in that they are in serious trouble. Yeah, they are. Um, and the, the, the worry would be that team's been overperforming, maybe not the last couple of months, but until then have been overperforming under Bielsa. He'd taken sort of mid-table championship players and made them look like mid-table Premier League players. And he'd done that by having them play his very idiosyncratic man-to-man pressing system. Now, that had begun to cause problems because teams had realised that if it's man-to-man, you can manipulate them in various ways. And I think that was one of the factors that that, that, that made things begin to go wrong this season, as well as the injuries. Uh, but if you've got a new manager coming in, I mean, Jesse Marsh presses high, but he, he presses only. And so that is a different system. And it's, it's not just that players have to suddenly pick up a new system two-thirds of the way through the season. Uh, it's that we don't know those players can do that. We've, those players, a lot of those players, their success has come in a totally different system. And that system alone has been the thing that's elevated them. So I think that would be a concern. Um, but then, yeah, given how badly things are going, maybe any change works. And I was talking to Nelly Manua about this, and he was saying that yeah, he, he thinks that a lot of those players had begun to get frustrated with the strictness of the man-to-man system, that, that they felt they were getting dragged out of position, and their instinct would be to cover zonally, and that, that they will now be able to, to follow their instincts rather than just doing what Bielsa would tell them to do, and that may be beneficial. So I think it's a concern, but but you know, it's, it's one of those things that could, could work for them or it could work against them. I think they're in massive, massive trouble. I think he's made a lot of those players way better than they actually are gone past their ceiling. But I've been wrong about lots of things before, so I fully expect Leeds to stay up. Let's do the just a minute section now then. It's Leicester v Leeds for you first, Jonathan. The Jermaine Beck... Yeah, Jermaine Beckford. Jermaine Beckford, Derby, he played for birth. Gary McAllister was the man in my head, but... Oh, very nice. I love, the, I love the way you're getting into this, Jonathan. It's taken me six months to get you there, but you love it thriving in this section now. <laughs> Mm. Um, <laughs> I'm just old. Like I just remember things from the 80s better than I remember things from last week. Yeah, so, I mean, we've sort of touched on a lot of it there, but Leeds clearly defensively have been dreadful uh, recently. They've let in 40 goals in the last 12 league games. And clearly you can't be having to score three and a half, four goals a game just to get a point. Uh, they're only two points above relegation zone and even more worrying than that, uh, and even more worrying than the fact that the trajectory is so clearly downward, they've played two games more than than Burnley. Um, Leicester, uh, they that draw against West Ham, a win at Burnley, although they came out of the side of the defeated Wolves. I think that's a sense of sort of writing of a ship there that there was talk of Brendan Rodgers possibly facing the sack, which I think would have been very harsh. Um, but 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 things probably are uh more more stable. Um, uh Keeper, Phillips, Bamford, still out. Leicester still got loads of problems injury-wise. Castagna, Evans, Justin, Fafana, um, Bertrand, there's doubt over Pereira. They drew 1-1 early in the season, but I think Leicester will win this 2-1. I've gone for 1-1. 
Who scored? 2-1 to Leicester for this one. 2-1 to Leicester. Josh, up for you is Villa v Southampton. The Stuart Taylor derby. You can always rely on it. He's a reliable backup goalkeeper to have played for two teams. Steven Gerrard importantly managed to stem a run of back-to-back defeats in the Premier League with a 2-0 win away to Brighton last weekend. Ollie Watkins and Danny Ings were surprisingly started both in attack last weekend with Buendia dropping to the bench. Gerrard finally recognised the space behind Villa's fullbacks was causing them too many problems and he instructed them to, to stay back as fullbacks against Brighton. That certainly helped neutralise Brighton's play down the wings and Gerrard may well go unchanged against Southampton this weekend. That, though, may raise issues of how he gets uh, the likes of Buendia and Leon Bailey into the team moving forward. Uh, Ralph Hassan-Hutl made wholesale changes uh, to, from the side that beat Norwich last Friday to the side that beat West Ham in the FA Cup on Wednesday. Um, Carl Walker-Peters and James Ward-Prowse were the only players to keep their places in the team and they both combined or scored in, in that win over the Hammers. Uh, keeping his players fresh where possible will, will be key to Southampton's pursuit of a top 10 finish, who I've been really impressed with in the last few weeks. Um, Southampton's season has really though been built on their terrific home form. They've only lost once at St Mary's all season. Recently, They've recently taken points from uh, away to Tottenham and Manchester United and are unbeaten in their last six at Villa Park. Since last suffering defeat in 2004, I think though just with the FA Cup in the middle of that, I think they might possibly suffer from a bit of fatigue. Uh, so we've gone for a one-all draw. I think if they had a full week, though, I'd have backed Southampton. Sorry, Dan. I mean, the fact that Southampton Villa haven't beat Southampton and Villa passed in 2004. What? There's all kinds of weird records like that. It must happen <laughs> to every club, but it feels like Villa are the wrong end of these records all the time. <laughs> I can tell you who scored that day as well. Carlton Cole. Yeah, there's another goal scorer as well. Yeah. So name the other one. The Rasmus. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. okay. No, no, it's all right. Don't test me on Villa, Josh. I've got that in the bag. So you're one-one, Jonathan. What are you? Also one-one. One-one, and I have gone for two-two. Your next game, Jonathan, to preview is Burnley v Chelsea. I'm going with some serious backup goalkeeper vibes today. I think Rob Green played for Burnley, didn't they? Right, okay. He played for Chelsea. Rob Green. Uh, Frank Sinclair was the man in my head. But... Nice. But Burnley, they after the FA Cup defeat, they had only lost one in seven after that sort of COVID-enforced midwinter break uh, before losing to Leicester um, earlier this week. Bit unlucky in that game. Conceded see the two late goals, probably had the better of it, um, certainly in terms of possession uh, for most of that. Uh, I think there is, is hope there with um, Veghorst having fitted in so quickly. He already looks a, a much more mobile player than Chris Wood, not necessarily a better player, but certainly more mobile. And that seems to work well, I think, with, with Corne. Um, they're only a point of heaven, only two points behind Leeds. Uh, so having looked not quite dead and buried, but in major trouble in December, I think they, they are improving. Chelsea won six in a row before the Carabao Cup final defeat, obviously played well in that, losing on penalties. Uh, weren't especially impressive in uh, just beating Luton in the cup last night and they've obviously got the whole issue of the Bramovich and the future ownership of the club to to worry about it was 1-1 at Stamford Bridge between these early in the season but I think Chelsea should have enough here to win 1-0 I've gone for 1-1 again Josh uh, 2-1 to Chelsea 2-1 to Chelsea. You're now going to do Newcastle v Brighton I don't really have a player but I've got a manager the Chris Hewton Darber Jeff Clark Dan Burns yeah big Jeff I don't, you know we don't like doing current players unless we absolutely have to, Josh. It's typical now that uh, Newcastle's midfield is performing so well that a player that they signed who many thought was too good for them can't even get in the team. Bruno Gamares has barely stepped foot on the pitch, but Newcastle are now on their best unbeaten run in the Premier League in over a decade. Uh, a 2-0 win away to Brentford last weekend means they're now unbeaten in seven and one of only two teams that are yet to suffer defeat in 2022. Uh, beating relegation was the aim for Eddie Howe when he took over, but now they could actually break the top 10. I think he's 
obviously been helped with a boatload of cash, but I think Eddie Howe's done really well to 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 answer some of the questions that were posed about him and his how he got teams to defend West Ham. Um, West Ham. Newcastle have only conceded three goals in the league uh, in this calendar year, which is the which is the fewest. So that's quite impressive. And they're up against Brighton this weekend to have lost three in a row without even scoring. Um, they've suffered as many defeats in their last three as the previous 20 combined. So Graham Potter's got to change something to try and get them back on track. They always seem to have these runs where they go on a long, really impressive run and then that follows with a long, terrible run. Um, so yeah, we've we've this will obviously have extra significance for Dan Byrne. As I said, he he moved from Brighton to Newcastle in in January and has played a pretty key role in turn helping them turn their defensive fortunes around. And we're going to back them to get a one nil win here. I've gone for two one to Newcastle, Jonathan. Two nil to Newcastle. Two nil to Newcastle. Brighton on the way down, just like I predicted at the start <laughs> of the season. Norwich v Brentford for you next, Jonathan. It's going to have to be Sergi Canos. That's all I can do. I've got nothing else. Uh, another former Sunderland player, Michael Turner. Michael Turner, I remember him. Yeah. Big donkey centre half. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that was him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, Norwich, they're pretty much gone, haven't they? They're five points adrift and they've played two games more than Everton in, in fourth bottom. Um, there had been an improvement, I think, after Dean Smith took over. Uh, they, they, so their recent run of games um, has been won three, drawn one, lost four uh, in, you know, in, in that order. Um, to be fair, the defeats have come. Two of them against Liverpool, one against City, and one against Southampton. So they have been in in, in hard games. So, so maybe there is still a glimmer of hope, but but not a huge amount. Brentford sinking fast, eight defeats and drawn the last nine. Um, game against Newcastle on, on Saturday was really decided by that early red card to Josh Silva, who's, who's obviously suspended for this. The the hope that came out of that game for them was partly Ericsson coming on in the second half, and he may give them a bit of creativity. But I think even more than that. Uh, Ivan Tony coming on after him, back from injury. Uh, they've only scored five goals in that nine-game run. Three of those have been scored by Tony, and his absence is clearly a big problem. I don't really fancy either here, so 1-1. One, one. We've gone for 1-0 to Norwich. And I've gone for 2-0 to Dean Smith, Norwich. Uh, your final game to preview is Wolves v Palace. And I tell you what, I am channeling the backup goalkeepers here. The Wayne Hennessy Darber. Back-to-back defeats for Wolves has really put the brakes on their unlikely push for fourth. Uh, Nelson Semedo is their only injury concern heading into the weekend. And we could even see a first start in 12 months for Pedro Neto. Palace continue to prove difficult to beat, but they're a team that's struggling to get wins themselves. Their only defeat in the last five was against Chelsea, but they've only won once in that time. The only change is expected from Patrick Vieira in attack where he likes to change on a game-by-game basis. Wolves have won this fixture three times in a row and they haven't conceded in any of those, so we're going to back a 1-0 win for them here. Tell you what, that was about under 30 seconds. That was, Josh. You didn't fancy having a go at preview in that one, did you? Not, didn't, not, didn't not, need, not interested in that one. Didn't, didn't need the minute. I've gone for 2-0 to Wolves. I had a Wolves fan have a go at me on Twitter last week because I always predict Wolves to lose 1-0. Jonathan? 2-1 uh, to Wolves. 2-1 to Wolves. Your final game, Jonathan, is Watford v Arsenal. And he's only gone and done it again. The Manuel Almunia yeah. Come on. Watford have only won one of the last 15. And yet, somehow, there's only three points of safety, which doesn't make a huge amount of sense. It suggests how many points they, they, they picked up in the first part of the season uh, before it all went wrong. Um, of the last three, though, they've, they've taken four points and they've kept two clean sheets in that time, which is something they hadn't done in the Premier League in their previous five managers. So you can see already that Roy Hodgson is having an effect at one end of the pitch. Um, they've only scored two goals in the last seven, which is, I would say, a concern. In the league, Arsenal have won seven of the last nine and they drew with Burnley and they lost to City in a game in which they were a little bit unlucky. 
Uh, they've scored in all of those apart from the Burnley game, which finished nil-nil. Uh, two points behind United in the race of fourth, uh, but they do have three games in hand, so they're very well placed. The problem you, you still have with them is can they beat top-class opponents, but that doesn't really matter here because they're playing Watford. Tommy Asu's out and Cooley's out. There's a doubt over Shmalasar, who obviously if he is out, that would be a major blow to Watford's creativity. So I'm going to say Arsenal to win 2-0. Gone Watford 1, Arsenal 3. Josh, the who scored guys? Same as Jonathan, 2-0 to Arsenal. 2-0. Let's do it. Let's talk about last week's predictions, Josh. Oh, talk God. to me. Talk to me, please. You've extended your lead at the top. Um, incredibly, you've got four, four correct scores bang on. Again, that's the fourth time you've done... No, the third time, sorry, you've done that this season. So you've got 15 points in total. Uh, your lead is now... So you, you're on 175 points for the season. Who scored on 163? And Jonathan has 151. So you've, you've extended your gap 12 points clear of second place. A long way back for you there, Jonathan. A long way back. <laughs> yeah, well, it's not my fault that football keeps being wrong. <laughs> I had a feeling I'd be in for a good week last week. I liked the look of my predictions last week. I did them and I thought they're good. I don't, don't like them as much this week, but last week I did look at them and think there's a few there that have got a chance and there was a few differentials. So, yeah, strong week. Enjoying the predictions league. Enjoy anything that I'm doing well in. Obviously, not fantasy football and the like because I'm not doing well at anything else, but predictions oh, league. Go on. Tell us more about your fantasy football team. No, no, no. I know you don't want to hear it, Jonathan. Not doing, <laughs> I'm, I'm having a great time. My dad's beating me, which is really frustrating me. He's top of the league. <laughs> I've got 100 points on me. I'm going to find it very difficult to pull that back. We've got a Saturday 3pm treble with Bet Victor Josh. You yeah. went for Norwich to win to nil versus Brentford. That's happened in three of the last four meetings between the two sides. Um, Brentford just haven't scored in three of the last four anyway, heading into this game. Uh, Jonathan, you went for Newcastle to win to nil against Brighton. I think that, yep, that was it. Yeah. Uh, so Newcastle have conceded the fewest goals in 2022 and Brighton have failed, haven't scored in three straight games. And who scored have just completed a to nil treble. We've gone for Wolves to win to nil against Palace. Uh, as I said, Wolves have won their last three home games to nil against Palace. And only once in the last eight matches between the two have both teams scored. So that's Wolves to win to nil against Palace, Newcastle to win to nil against Brighton and Norwich to win to nil against Brentford. Um, that hasn't been boosted, but that's 79 to one for that treble, which is already... Again, by far and away, the industry best price. Um, so, yeah, 79 to 1 for those three. That is those high. Three. Premier League February team of the month, Josh. Please enlighten us. Uh, you'll be pleased to know it's a 4-4-2 formation, your favourite formation. Uh, so, starting off in goal, we've got Jordan, Pickba- Jordan, Pick- Jordan Pickford. Sorry, February was a mixed bag for Everton, but Pickford ended up making the second most saves in the division. Very busy for him. Into defence, we've got Carl Walker-Peters at right back. Uh, fullbacks really benefit from the way Southampton play, um, and Walker-Peters took full advantage. He was second for dribbles in the league, uh, and he also closed off the, the month with back-to-back Who Scored Man of the Match awards. Uh, so the centre-back pairing is all Liverpool. We've got Joel Matip and Virgil van Dijk. Uh, both of them got on the score sheet in February in the league. And then the left back, who always seems to be in the teams, is Jao Cancelo. Um, he just is a pretty incredible player. Uh, and then moving into the midfield, we've got Mo Salah um, on the right. Again, another mainstay in these sort of teams. Uh, he uh, scored, he played a direct hand in four goals and three starts in February and became the first player in the league this season to reach uh, double figures for goals and assists. Um, and then we've got Ward Prowse in midfield with Josh Brownhill of Burnley, not someone that you often talk about in these sort of 11s, but he's had a great spell with Burnley. Ward Prowse obviously going from strength to strength again at, at Southampton. Uh, and on the left is Luis Diaz, who's obviously made a great start to his Liverpool career. Uh, we'll talk about him uh, shortly. Um, 
He uh, got his first goal for Liverpool last month, had 12 shots in, in total, ranked highly for both dribbles and key passes. Very effective player. And then the front two is Harry Kane and Sadio Mane. Um, Mane is actually our player of the month. He um, obviously came back from AFCON as a winner and that's given him a spring in his step. So he's and he's also done well playing in a new set, like a central role for Liverpool with Diaz on the left. Uh, and Kane obviously delivered a, a brilliant performance against Manchester City um, back to his very best. So, yeah, it's Pickford, Walker-Peters, Matip and Van Dijk, Cancelo, um, Mo Salah, Ward-Prowse, Josh Brownhill, Luis Diaz and then Kane and Mane. Good team, that. Josh Browner wouldn't mind playing in that term, I don't think. He would. He'd have an absolutely lovely time in central midfield with all those players. <laughs> right, Liverpool v West Ham then. Oh, God, I need a derby. Uh, Mascarano? Joe Cole. Mascarano, Joe Cole, they're, they're all there. I've, tried, I've desperately trying to think of a backup goalkeeper. Oh, I've, I've got one, but he still plays for Liverpool, so it doesn't really work. The Adrian Derby. Oh, we, we like the backup goalkeepers today. But yeah, your, your two shouts were better. Josh has just touched on him there, Jonathan. Diaz. Incredible player, early doors, settled in like he's been at Liverpool all his life, in the team of the month for who scored, which I'm sure means an awful lot to him. He's offered something different, hasn't he? Yeah, he has. Um, I mean, I think they, yeah, they, we, we talked about it before, they, they desperately needed to, to to strengthen that front line just because uh, that, that traditional three were, you know, the, the, they all either have or will turn 30 this season. And, you know, it's a very bad thing to to, to have a, a team ageing together. Bringing in Diego Jota clearly was the start of that, although he missed a lot last season with injury. But I think the incredible thing, and it's true of Jota as well, actually, is that um, yeah, Liverpool system, the way they press, is you, you would assume it would be difficult to pick up because you have to learn the patterns, you have to learn when to go, you have to learn specific opponents. And yet Jota and Diaz seem to have picked up incredibly quickly. Now, I don't know if that's testament to Liverpool's scouting. And, and to be fair, Liverpool, they don't buy many duds. Uh, so, so presumably it is, uh, but I, I, I think getting him in when they did, probably six months before they they intend to bring him in, their, their hand was forced a bit by Spurs' interest. I think that's been hugely beneficial to them that they can now perm three from five, and with Firmino injured, that's um, been hugely beneficial. But he looks, you know, incredibly hardworking, quick, um, is fit at the pressing, but he's also just very very skillful. I and mean, there was a a moment coming back up final. When he just sort of flicked the ball, come whose head it was, he flicked it over, but flicked the ball over the Chelsea player's head and went on the other side. And you just sort of thought, you know, we've become so inured to that kind of skill. But like 10 years ago, we'd have been raving about that. And it's mm. almost almost passed without notice. But yeah, he looks, a, looks a, I mean, it's obviously early still, but he looks a brilliant player. Yeah, I thought he was a joke in the Carabao Cup finals, and I thought he was so, so good. Must be quite interesting for Liverpool fans, because they don't, don't buy loads of players, Josh, but when they do, it's always incredibly well thought out and they just seem to always fit you. It's, it's funny how things work out, really, because as Jonathan said, this wasn't a signing that was a priority at all for them in January, but it was for, forced on them because of Tottenham. And I think David Moyes has said recently that they were close to signing him. But it's weird that that signing could now potentially propel them to the league title if they can continue to catch Manchester City, because obviously it gives them a new option. And if you just look at his stats over his first three league games for Liverpool, he's had four shots in each game against Leeds, Norwich and Leicester. He's created eight goal-scoring chances in that time. He's completed 11 dribbles. He's won five fouls. He's committed for himself. He's making tackles. He's making interceptions. So he's doing everything that a Liverpool for- or a forward should do in a Jurgen Klopp system. He's doing it all and he's, he's doing it straight away. He's actually the top-rated January signing across Europe's top five leagues. So he's done better than anyone else in, in Europe so far. Um, and I always think it's if you know that you're coming to the end of a cycle of a team and you've got players who are potentially on their way out, I think it's always 
good if you can get the replacement in first. It, I just think it makes things much easier. And obviously, it, that's they've absolutely nailed it with Diaz, or so it seems at the moment, because obviously, I guess it, it'll be Mane or Salah that will perhaps leave in the next 12 months. Um, and with Diaz, they're already, they've got a ready-made replacement already firing. Yeah, West Ham, Jonathan, felt a big win against Wolves last week. Excuse me, Mr. Wolves fan, I predicted you to lose 1-0, actually, and you lost 1-0, so I don't know why you're having a go at me on Twitter for. But yeah, big win for West Ham. Ruben Neves will not have liked the celebrations at the end of the game, and I probably thought they were a bit much. It was it was a big win, though, and they're, they're still in with a massive shout of top four, Jonathan. Yeah, I mean, you look at the squad, and you still think they're, they're incredibly reliant on Michael Antonio. And it's you know it's very hard to uh, you know, to give him time off, uh, and you know, were he to get injured, then that clearly would would severely limit their striking options. Um, but for now, they, they 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 keep ticking over. I mean, their form's been a bit odd, um, really? West Ham. So it's it's it, it, it has been a yeah. You know, they, they 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 were unbeaten in five before the cup game against Southampton uh, this week. Um, but they had lost the two before that. They won the four before that, and then before that, they had a run of five, which they they lost four and drew one. So they're still sort of um, their their position is still largely dependent on points they banked early in the season. But yeah, certainly at home, you think they can beat anybody. Uh, they obviously have beaten Liverpool already this season, um, and I think that game was key. I mean, it's it sort of it's that game that led to that slightly dodgy run. Because Ogbonna got injured, he's obviously still out, and I think he's a huge, huge loss to their their defence. Um, so yeah, look, the, the, the squad is is clearly not as deep as as that of of, of the bigger clubs, um, but teams like Manchester United, Arsenal, Tottenham, you don't fully trust. And if West Ham keep on picking up points, particularly at home, then then they could sneak forth. They do have Declan Ross as well, who's an absolutely sensational footballer. <laughs> You wanted to talk about this, Josh, before we came on. My shout about West Ham last week. I said they'd win 1-0 and I said Suchek would score. It yeah, happened. Did a, Unbelievable. Did a, of, did a bit of digging. I asked uh, the kind folk of Bet Victor to find out what that sort of price would have been uh, before the game. And they said that uh, Suchek to score and West Ham to win 1-0 would have been priced around 55 to 60 to 1. So, And obviously you didn't get on that then. So that's a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. I didn't get on it. I should get to make. I said at the time, extra points if you get the goal scorer. That was a phenomenal shot. He hadn't scored for ages as well, so that was a big shout, but I didn't bet on it. So, yeah. And it was his no birthday as well, wasn't it? And it was his birthday as well, Jonathan. I don't know. Was he, 20, was he younger than 28? Is he older than 28? I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. Probably about 28, I would say. Yeah, I had to guess his age, right? I would say. 28. 27. 27. 27. 27, nearly. Right, what predictions have we got for this one then? Jonathan, I'll come to you first. Uh, 3-1 for Liverpool. Same for me. Josh? Yeah, all of us have predicted 3-1 and we just thought we'd we'd uh, take a leaf out of your book then and get that price up as a correct score. And we've also thrown in Salah to score any time here. He has nine nine career goals against West Ham, which makes them his joint favourite opponent. So uh, Liverpool to win 3-1 and Salah to score any time has been boosted from 12-1 to to 16-1 to this weekend for anyone that fancies following Dan's lead. There's some good ones this week, isn't there? I might be, I might be making three bets with Bet Victor so far. I like the look of all three of those. The final game we're going to look at today is Monday Night Football. Monday Night Football is back. It's Tottenham v Everton, the Lewis Hart derby. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Doubted myself for a second, but he did spend a little bit of time under Harry Redknapp at Spurs. Jonathan Kane and Son absolutely flying together. A joy to watch at the moment. Kulizewski's come in as well. He's, he's looked really, really good. I was surprised Juventus let him go because he was really good for them last season. But they've got a pretty strong forward line now, haven't they? Yeah, they have. I mean, Lucas Miller, I think, is missing from this game, isn't he? Oh, he's certainly a doubt. 
Um, but it just, you sort of think, well, he wouldn't have started anyway because Kulisevsky has started so well. And as you say, Kane and Son back to being uh, as devastating together as they as, as they ever have been. Um, and that's one of the you know it's, it's sort of it's the classic thing when when things start to go wrong for Tottenham. Every, oh, Harry Kane's got to play more in the box. Why is he dropping deep? One of his great strengths is he can drop deep. And you saw against City, the way he drops off and plays that ball around the corner for Son, it's really hard to defend that, the pace at which they do that. So the idea he should take that out of his game yeah, to, to, I don't know, maybe score two or three more goals a season, I think is a is a, is a very strange one. And, and, and equally, if you look at the performance against City, um, certainly the last goal came from him making a run from a, from a deep area. So that, that dropping off when he's so comfortable doing it I think you should be encouraged to. The, the, the thing you have to do then is get players running beyond him. But both Son and um, Kulisevsky seem happy to do that. You'd be shocked to learn. I completely agree with you, Jonathan, as I, as I always do. Why would you ask someone to stop doing something that they're very, very good at? It makes no sense at all. Josh, form rankings? Fittingly, both Harry Kane and Son are at the top Top of that. Kane's number one and Son's number two. The timing's not great because obviously Tottenham were dumped out of the FA Cup. Uh, by Middlesbrough in midweek but this is the form rankings based on the Premier League so Kane yeah Kane's one and Son's two and I think like, as you said Kuliseski's added like a real great dynamic to that to that to that front two because I think it felt harsh that Lucas Moura dropped out of the team straight away because I think on the balance of the whole season he's probably been one of Tottenham's best players but I think from what we've seen of Kuliseski you just realise what Lucas Moura lacked I think he's only scored 19 goals in 120 games league games for Tottenham and Kuliseski's obviously already already on two. I think since the start of last season, Kuliseski's Tottenham's eighth top goal scorer in the Premier League with a whopping two goals. So there was obviously issues beyond if you if you could obviously everyone knows that Kane and Son are their main goal threats. So if you basically just let Lucas Moura have the ball more often than not and and sort of starve them of possession, then you'll probably have some success. But with Kuliseski, he's obviously added a, added a new dynamic, and I think we saw. The, in the Leeds game, I think you saw a perfect example of Kuliseski is obviously uh, a right footer that's playing on the left and Son Son's both footed but would prefer to be on his right. So with those two both coming inside, you allow the fullbacks all the room in the world to get forward. And I think you saw that against Leeds perfectly, um, especially under for what Antonio Conte likes to do. You had Ryan Sessegnon coming down the left and he whipped it in for Matt Doherty to score from the right. So that's two wing-backs combining. Um, so Kuliseski's added is helping Son and Kane, and he's also helping the overall team team balance, I guess, under Conte. I'd say it also helps when you don't play Emerson Royale, because yeah. I still maintain he's absolutely awful. He's making Doherty look like one of the best right-wing backs there's ever been, watching him play for Spurs last week against Leeds, although Leeds did a pretty good job of making Doherty look, look good as well. <laughs> Jonathan, Everton's away record. It's the worst in the Premier League this season. They had the fourth best last season. I was going to say, I've always thought they had a bad home record, but I guess they do have both, because that's why they're so down <laughs> low in the table. Yeah, but they've clearly been much better at home under Lampard. I mean, they you know, one, hmm. two, albeit one of them in the cup. And then the game against City where, yeah, had that penalty been given and had they converted, they'd probably have got a, you know, a, a 1-1 draw that, although they, they lost the game fairly comfortably on XG, you just said was probably deserved on, you know, on the way they played. I mean, and then, yeah, Pickford made a couple of, well, one really good double save in that game as well. So I don't think you get too carried away by... I mean, look, it's City. So, you know, it, it, it's a different level of opponent anyway. Um, but their two away performances under Lampard have been, been dismal. Now, I don't think that's a Lampard problem. I think that predates Lampard, uh, certainly this season. But clearly, you know, if, if, they, if they are going to 
get themselves out of this relegation fight, they 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 do need to start picking up points points away. Um, and, and and that's that'd be my concern about the way they've started under Lampard, that it does feel so far uh, a very emotional reaction. It's to do with the fact that the home crowd at Goodison are being supportive in a way that they haven't been of previous managers, and there is this sort of sense of positivity at home. Uh, whether structurally there's been significant improvements yet, I don't know. Whether you can expect them after two or three weeks, maybe that's unfair as well. It feels like they just like him, Josh, because he's a bit more front foot than what they were getting under Benitez. I must say a bit more front foot, quite a lot more front foot than it was under Benitez and he didn't use to manage Liverpool. With, it's weird with Everton, isn't it? Because last season they had the fourth best away record um, and this season they're actually bottom of the Premier League like on away point. They've only got six points from a possible 36 away from home. They haven't won since August and they haven't kept any clean sheets away from home this season. It's, it's strange. I don't... I don't know because last season was the the whole season was behind closed doors, wasn't it? Last season was that yeah, right? Except for the yeah, last game, yeah. there was like from, a percentage allowed in. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I don't know whether that's that helped them, and and now that there's obviously all fans are back, I don't, and now they're struggling. I don't know whether that there's something in that, whether there's something fundamentally wrong with the characters of the players or something like that. I don't know, but yeah, it's weird. And they've still got to play Liverpool, Arsenal, Leicester, West Ham, and obviously Tottenham on Monday, all away from home. So it's not like they've. It's not like they've had all of their hard away games already. They've lost. They've lost at lost at places where you would expect Everton to win, um, or certainly pick up points. So yeah, it's it's strange, and like their their home form is has been good, like Jonathan said under under Lampard, but still nothing's really changed away from home. Because you kind of think the home form and the home atmosphere might get Everton over the line, Jonathan, and get them to stay. Kind of think the same with Leeds actually. Either one of them, they still could. You talk about them fixtures that Josh has just just mentioned as well. Either one of them could go, and Everton are in just as much trouble as Leeds. Well, um, both could go. I mean, my suspicion is it'll be Norwich, Watford, and Brentford. Yeah. Um, but you know, Tony and Ericsson could turn things around for Brentford. Brentford's home form isn't. I think they've lost four of the last eight at home, but. Um, that includes games against the two Manchester clubs, Wolves, and then yeah, Newcastle on Saturday. Yeah, they're sending off. Obviously, changed everything after what eleven minutes. So yeah, I'm not writing Brentford off, but they, you know they look the team in trouble. Uh, Burnley obviously uh, have been improved, but are they improved enough? But I think it's te- it's not it's certainly not impossible that both uh, Everton and and Leeds could go down. Um, so yeah, uh, both we we don't quite know what to make of them. We, you know, Leeds with a new manager and, and Everton. It's still very early, and, and while some things have improved, some things clearly haven't. But you know, if you if they can win, say seventy percent of their home games between now and the end of the season, that will comfortably be enough because they 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 probably only need what a dozen points to be to be fairly secure. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's, that's only four home wins, isn't it? So it is. Yeah, you do think they're not not that far away if a home form does pick up. It's exciting, though. Exciting at the top. Exciting at the bottom. We we talk about home form being important, but only one manager or two managers in that relegation battle have got experience of a relegation battle in the Premier League, and that's Dean Smith and Roy Hodgson. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens. Everton and Leeds, they could seriously be in trouble. I don't want to upset their fans that may watch this podcast, but they could be in serious trouble. Predictions, Jonathan? Uh, 2-0 Tottenham. I've gone 2-0 as well. Josh? Uh, We've gone for 3-1 to Tottenham. 
3-1 to Tottenham. Very good. That does us for this week's edition of the Edge of the Box podcast. Thanks ever so much for watching. And thanks to Josh and Jonathan for joining me, as always. Really, really enjoyed it, as always, as well. Please subscribe to the podcast with your post notifications on or subscribe to the channel. That makes more sense. That would really help us. We want to get those subscribing numbers up, so please help. There's about 50 million people follow who scored on Twitter. Why is this not translating into the podcast? Let's make it happen. Enjoy the football at the weekend. Have a good weekend as well. And yes, stay safe.